Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Uh, welcome to another episode of Stoke the Fire, ladies and gentlemen. I am still in transit. I'm still moving my stuff, so I'm on my friend's couch with my travel mic. Apologies, but hopefully it sounds okay. Jesse, as always, is in the wonderful psychedelic room of his house. The void, as I like <laughs> to call it. Yes. Trapped How are in the you, void. Bro? Are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Dealing with some some death recently, but um, it, with mourning and sadness comes reflection and I think, uh, you know, profound writing that I've been doing. So, I, you know, as an artist, always trying to channel the dark stuff. So it hasn't been easy. It's definitely uh, death puts things in perspective and also brings people together so it's a mixed bag but short story uh out of a long one i'm doing all right my friend and when you say writing is that for music is that just prose or is it just poetry to get it out of you like is it, is it with any intention of going anywhere or is it just for the sake at the moment of expressing yourself it's kind of a mixed bag you know i've been trying to do stream of consciousness writing but i'm also also writing lyrics um for new material as well i'm trying to trying to find my uh my voice. So there should be, hopefully if, if all goes well, and I can't promise this, but uh, maybe some kill switch stuff coming up real soon, just for fun, maybe a single or so. If I can, uh, if I can get it together before this next tour, we'll see what happens. Well, that's exciting, man. And we'll talk to today's guest about this, but I've spoken to a lot of people in this time. And it seems like a lot of people have, even if they have, or they haven't, they've felt like they've lost their voice. And I think it's hard when you're a vessel and a channel for ideas and you're trying to document the human experience. When the human experience has been what it has these last two years, I completely sympathize with everybody in the creative field that is struggling to navigate this time and, and try and be, you know, vital and original. Mm. You know, because it's like, what do you write about? I've been sat at home for two years watching the news and like, you know, just going around Groundhog Day over and over again. It is difficult. Yeah, I think for me, it's been a lot of anger and frustration, um, and I don't want to come off too dark, but I think it's a great segue, perfect segue, in my opinion, to our guest today. There you go. I have been a fan of since I was uh, 14, 14 years old when I first heard the song Darkness uh, from him and his band. And uh, I could go on a huge, long intro, um, but I, I, I kind of just want to get him on the show. So for me integrity uh, was a band that changed everything and i believe they did what they did before any other band in that sort of specific genre did it and it was a total game changer severely underrated and uh dwid who is our guest today um is has a profound effect on me 
as a lyricist and as a vocalist and as a musician and as an artist as well. So I think without further ado, let's bring him on. Dwight Hillian, the man, the myth, the legend from Integrity. Thanks for uh, a very flattering introduction. I, I don't know if I deserve it, but I appreciate it, Jesse. You do, brother. You do. As far <laughs> Thank as you, very you, much. you being an artist and a musician and a pioneer, I would say, of what you do musically, it's well-deserved. And I think understated, if nothing else, uh, in the current climate of music. So there you go, brother. <laughs> very kind of you. Thank you. So Thanks I remember acquaintance, dude. Thank you for coming on the yeah. show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's kind of cool how this all happened. I put up a post about uh, your album, Humanity's the Devil, from many years ago. Um, just randomly, I was listening to it. I was like, man, I got to post up about this. I feel like not enough people know the influence you have on um, not just hardcore, but in, in metal as well. And uh, it, you know, when I get into conversations with people about music, because I'm a total nerd for like the roots of things, where things come from, you know, starting from the blues all the way up to, to metal and death metal. Um, and I feel like in some of the conversations I've had with the younger fans, when I mention integrity, it's either they know it and they're like, wow, yeah, fucking love integrity. Or they're like, who? And I'm like, oh, no, we got we to rectify this. So <laughs> in my mind, it's like just sort of paying respect or respect is due with what you guys did back then, because you guys were doing that shit before anybody, you know, before the whole devil core thing happened in hardcore and all people were kind of sort of writing dark introspective lyrics. You had been doing that for years before a lot of these bands caught on to that shit. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really aware of it at the time. I, I grew up in a very religious household. So uh, I was condemned as uh, being uh, under the influence of devilry by my by my relatives for many years so it sort of got ingrained in my in my personality i suppose and that that's where it all came from for me well we have that in common i came from a very religious family as well as a matter of fact my father is a retired minister oh i was unable to listen to the devil's music for much of my life um, and I have told this story many times, but my father found a um, number of the beast iron maiden in, in my brother's bedroom. And we got a sermon about hellfire and brimstone and the devil's music. So for me, it's always been something that's very fascinating to me uh, and definitely something I want to get into with you about sort of your view of uh, the darker side of things, because I'm fascinated by it as well. So you grew up in Indiana, correct? Yeah, I was born in Indiana. In the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Pretty much, yeah. Just cornfields and nothing else. And uh, I remember being a small, uh, small boy and and looking out over the the cornfields and the farms. And it's really, if you have never been to Indiana, your listeners, it's uh, very flat. And you can see for what seems like an eternity, you can see the end of the world when you're when you're five years old or whatever. And I thought man, there's got to be more to the world than this. You know, even at five years old, I knew there had to be more. I watched television and, you know, uh, of course, at the time, I imagined that there was, uh, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula were real and all this. So I was wondering where they were in this geography. But uh, but I couldn't see any any tall buildings. I couldn't see anything for as far as I, my eyes could see. And I thought, man, I got to find a way out of here. So I spent most of my childhood trying to find a way out. And uh, my imagination helped me get get out uh, earlier than I physically was able to get out of, out of that predicament. But uh, but now I live in Belgium, so that's pretty far away from Indiana. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you, do you think at an early age, because I, I find this with myself, 
being in a religious family, there's almost an obsession with the devil, with a lot of Christians, especially fundamentals where demons and devils are everywhere. And I don't think I would have gotten as interested had it not been something that was so taboo, something that was so discussed, you know, about modern society. And my parents keep me away from mainstream music and, you know, watching what I watched movie wise, like I couldn't watch R rated movies. So all that stuff sort of drew me in. And I was so curious about it because it was such an antithesis of the way that we were supposed to be living, you know, as Christians. Do you think that had a lot to do with you sort of in the early days, maybe going like, oh, there's something to this. Did it draw you in because of that sort of like, um, you know, tabooness of it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, the, the fervor that my family had, uh, they were they were Pentecostal, so they're very uh, into the faith uh, belief. And um, the fact that they were so obsessed with it, fixated with it, it was really, uh, it still is a really huge part of who they are. And at the time, I, I, I felt that I was a, a bit of the outlaw in that, fa- in that uh, equation. So I, um, as, as I was labeled, you know, some kind of uh, demon child or whatever, then I sort of embraced that. But, you know, over the years, I, I came back and I, I did more research into, you know, reading, reading the Bible from a different perspective. And, you know, it comes to me like, the, you know, it's, it's the most horrific book that I've ever read. It blows away any of the things that they would tell me I shouldn't uh, have listened to or read or watched or whatever it would be. So in, in that regard, it's, it's interesting to me. And it's also interesting to me, like, um, you know, like you'll, you'll see interviews with Scandinavian uh, black metal groups and, and you'll say, they'll say, journalists will say, Oh, what are you guys interested in? And they, oh, we're interested in evil, just evil. That's all, all we're interested in. And then they'll say, uh, what do you think about Christianity? Oh, oh we hate it. It's evil. And that always that always was uh, conflicting to me as as why they were against this evil uh, force, and also myself too, because I, I was more interested in what was evil than what was uh, wholesome or, or, or good natured when I was a, a teenager. So that also created conflict in who I was, like because I, I I was against uh, religion for a very long time, but I always uh, drew from religion for a lot of my lyrical inspiration. And uh, then somehow it sort of shifted in a weird way where I became more interested in it, but from the from a different perspective than what is the average perspective of, of reading the Bible, you know. I kind of read it more like it's a, it's a horror story kind of thing, you know, rather than... Uh, I, I actually can't, I can't really understand like how people are, are, are uh, interpreting it as, as the kind of the good, uh, happy cartoonish thing that, that they, that they kind of, I, I just imagine most Christians have never read the Bible. So they have this idea that it's, you know, this G rated Disney thing and it it's not. And, uh, I don't know. I think I'm going off, off, off on a tangent here. No, so no. It, I'm ruining no, your show. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Even I, uh, with the band name integrity like you're talking about conflict and you know that word conjures up obviously like a righteousness right but then within the the theme of the music is as you say a lot of like you know esoteric and and evil subject matter so obviously from the get-go it fed right into that you know 
duality of your artistic voice. Yeah, there is a duality to it, but also similar to the way that I, I view the Bible. Uh, to me, the definition of integrity is to uh, stand up and it's something that you believe in. And by you, I mean myself, my belief system. So I don't necessarily view the name as being uh, being a do-gooder, so to speak, you know, but as standing up for the things that I believe in, whether, you know, that's from my point of view, to some people that might be good and, and to others it may be, be not good. But um, it, it's caused a lot of confusion for people too, of course, you know, because a name like that and then the music sounding the way that it does, it's, it, it's not always a, a perfect match for some people. I think Which, it's poetic. I like license, that though. So, uh, yeah, it's poetic license. I think it's great. And I think that's what Thank makes you. it great because I remember hearing the name and then hearing the music and I didn't even question. It. I'm like, this is badass. It's like, it felt like, um, you know, cause you guys obviously started in a hardcore. I would consider integrity. I, you really can't put a genre on it. You guys blend so many different styles, including metal, black metal, hardcore punk. It's all there. But you know, when I was introduced to you, is when I was, you know, into a lot of the straight edge bands I got introduced to first, like Earth Crisis, Strife. And, and then, you know, a friend of mine played me Integrity and it was like, whoa, it's still within the realm of what hardcore was, but you, you were doing something different. And that's what attracted me to it. It was like, this is heavier. This is meaner. Your voice, especially on those early records, man, just like, oh my God, how did you do it? I'm like, how does he do that voice? It's so nuts. <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of what you do because it went so much deeper than the lyrics that I was reading from a lot of these quote unquote hardcore bands where it was just about, you know, basic stuff you know, as a teenager you could relate to, but I've always been into poetry. Even before I got into punk music and hardcore poetry was life for me. So the deeper things of life, you know, questioning existence and being a, a child of a minister, of course, my brain was filled with all sorts of Bible stories and all that stuff. So when I saw the references, I started to see the imagery that drew me right in. And I want to say this too, you're right about people who are claiming to be Christian and don't read their Bible. I feel like I've consumed that Bible many times because I've had to. And over the years, my opinion of it has changed as well. But I find it so fascinating to me that there's this, uh, this group of people who claim to be this one thing and they're so fervor, fervorous and have such a, um, an energy for it, but they're just rife with contradictions. And I love that you've sort of taken a figure like the devil and used that imagery and, and your words and your lyrics to sort of paint him in a different picture. Not so much as like, you know, being an evil character, but somebody who rebelled and somebody who spoke up against what he saw was hypocritical. So I find that super fascinating. And I totally back the imagery of integrity versus your lyrics. I think it just makes it so much more interesting. Well, thank you. I mean, you also have to understand, like, there's a, a council of Nicaea, and, and they they altered the book anyway. So every everybody who reads the book and uh, of this time frame, we're reading uh, an edited version, anyways. You know, I mean, if you you could read uh, the Nag Hammadi books, or uh, you know, these older older uh, scrolls that they find, and, and they're always said to be. Uh, uh, counterfeit or, or that they, people don't want to believe in them but the, they predate uh, the uh emperor constantine's uh, edited versions that everybody takes it as gospel 
no pun intended there, but uh, that's interesting too. I mean, you know, that people just, uh, they don't even question that. And that's, that's, that's historical fact. It's not, you know, he changed, he had certain things in the book changed basically because he didn't want people who uh, his, his uh, constituents in the Roman empire to question his authority because he would be the, uh, the, the representative, he would be the God, God, uh, archetype in the book you know or be he wants the people to see him as you know as a godlike figure and if they're going to question god then they would definitely question him and he didn't want that so he, he made some changes in there and that's uh, some strange stuff as well you know well, you i don't know if you want to go into all that or, or whatever, you mentioned you know, the Gnosticism i do now i do because you mentioned the <laughs> roman empire and i think that the roman empire plays a huge role in this because you know, if you know your your history, you know that the Roman Empire worshipped Caesar as a god. And then when you had the time of Christ and people saw the followers of this man called Christ, the way before it was called Christianity, they saw the power in that. They saw how people were following. And I think, I know they took that and made it their own. So they took this religious fervor and made it, they politicized it, and hence the Roman Catholic Church, yeah. which to this day still has one of the strongest influences on the planet. So their power hasn't diminished even with the rise and quote unquote fall of the Roman empire. It's, it's still very much a power player in the world. Yeah. And I would add, and I know this will upset a lot of people, but it's true. You have this, uh, this group, this, this organization that protects people who are doing very dark things. There's a lot of dark inner workings and I'm fascinated. You know, I went to Rome and I, I did a little mini tour of the Vatican and I got dark, weird vibes there. So to me, it's just, nothing's changed since those times when things were being manipulated people were controlled by this massive thing this religion and it's it's just morphed and changed but it, it hasn't gone away it's still the same power yeah it's it's a strange situation also that they would put they would put uh the 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 vatican in in rome of all places the heart of the people who crucified christ so then they put the 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 religion they base it in the heart of the empire that killed this guy the symbol is the cross which is the 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 device they used to torture and kill him with and then the religion is based in 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 the in the capital of the empire that killed the man nobody questions that i it's just i mean i love the irony of it you know but uh i don't know i mean i sort of have this feeling and maybe it's a it might be a conspiracy thing but a lot of the things that they say you know the devil's going to come uh, in disguise to you so maybe they are the devil maybe the the other side is is the righteous side it's hard to know you know because all the terrible things that they've done over the years uh really are very different than what 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 they portray mm. but uh now we're getting into craziness i think so sorry no, <laughs> i like it i could talk about that shit for hours so for me like i guess i'm curious to know with all of this we're talking about where does music come into play for you at what time did you sort of say to yourself okay this is what i want to do was there a moment where you it struck you I think the moment where I thought it would be possible would be when I heard um, uh, 
this this compilation record called Peace War. It was a a compilation double LP with bands from all over the world that did punk and, and uh, hardcore and heavy metal kind of music, metal punk, whatever. And um, I heard Septic Death, and I heard a Japanese band called Gizem, and I thought, well. Now, I was really attracted to this, the way that they, both these bands sounded, but I also thought well, that's something maybe I could do, you know. And also, you know, Motorhead was uh, a band that was getting uh, getting more uh, accessibility on, on television and on the radio to a small degree. And uh, and I thought, well, I can I can kind of sing a bit like that as well. So, you know, Lemmy kind of gave me the ability to feel like it was possible that I, you know, you don't have to sing like Mariah Carey to, uh, to be able to make records, you know? Well, Lemmy's like the quintessential outlaw as well, isn't he? And you absolutely kind of, you yeah. kind of alluded to this earlier. If you're growing up in a household that's very strict and religious and you feel out of step with that, did you identify with outsider figures very early on in your life? And did you draw towards those kind of characters in, movies in literature in music like did you want to be or maybe not want to be but did you see yourself as being more like them than you know perhaps the people you were living with i.e your family yeah definitely i i, I would uh i would relate more to uh horror characters uh you know dracula and frankenstein you know these kind of there it was romantic that they were outsiders too the way that they're portrayed at least by the uh, early universal films and then the Hammer ones, uh, they were a bit like that, but also they were more sinister at getting revenge on the people who who had uh, cast them out. And uh, that, that dichotomy always was uh, somehow ingrained in me, probably because the way that my parents uh, viewed me. And, and I guess it was mainly because I, as a, at a young age, I was interested in, in drawing and collage and art. And I guess that maybe that was what they saw as being uh, a, a place to uh, a point, uh, a crossroads for them or something. You know, they, they saw it as maybe uh, I wasn't following the rules that they wanted me to follow or, or what. And I would go off the rails into some kind of lifestyle that they would uh, be ashamed of or, or something, which maybe I have. I'm not sure. But uh, I think by now they just sort of uh, gave up. Um, trying to uh, change my trajectory. <laughs> what were you seeking out early on then as a form of rebellion or self-expression? Um, you know, was drink and drugs part of that journey or was it more just music and, and underground art? All of that. Yeah. Drinking drugs, uh, music. Um, I got into skateboarding at a young age and through my parents, I moved out of Indiana. My parents got divorced and my father married uh, a lady who, who uh, then they moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And Louisville at the time had a really big uh, punk scene. And this would be 1980, um, 83, 84. And um, that's how I got into punk was because I was into skateboarding. I came from farms to like concrete and then I got into skateboarding because maybe a neighbor or something. And uh, then they would make uh, neighborhood kids would make uh, dub tapes of, of music that they had. That was a big thing it was before MP3s, obviously, and people would share cassette tapes of, of 
either they'd make their own compilations or just straight dub LPs and give you a copy. And so that's how I got first exposed to a lot of music. And uh, at that time, um, a lot of the kids that I knew came from different backgrounds. So I would have like um, Too Fast for Love by Motley Crue and, um, you know, Holy Diver and, uh, from Dio and, you know, Zeppelin and Sabbath. But I'd also have Black Flag and, uh, you know, all kinds of different things, including, uh, you know, goth, like Christian death and um, even like, I don't know if it's called New Wave or whatever, like The Cure and The Smiths and those kinds of bands were called. But um, I thought that all of that stuff was kind of in the same bag. You know, I didn't really understand that there was supposed to be these really strict lines of what you could listen to. You had to only listen to this or this or this, but you couldn't listen to it all. And I, I didn't really understand that. I still don't really understand that, but I was made aware that that was the rules when I started to make records. Kind of what Jesse said earlier was... Um, it wasn't really that we tried to say that we were making, oh, let's make this kind of music and make people angry because we like a lot of weird music and, and diverse music. We just, uh, Aaron Melnick and I liked uh, a lot of different music. And he was the first person that I, I met who had almost the same taste in music and that we didn't really understand that there were these barriers or why there were these barriers really so we thought well we'll just make music that we like and fill in the fill in the blank so when you have when you're listening to uh, when you're listening to 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 one band that you like you'd say you know what would be great is if they had a part that was like like this or like that and uh that was kind of the the reason that i got into it that way i thought well uh we'll put in a part that's has a, a lot of solos here and we'll put in a part that's almost goth or acoustic or, or whatever different stuff. And we would do all these different things because we liked it. And we thought, well, we're, we'd like to hear that. And nobody was doing it at the time. So that was, that was the reason that we did the, the music that way. It wasn't really uh uh pre-planned that we were going to do something different and, and people were going to say, Oh, you did something different. In fact, it, it was met with a lot of uh, disdain by by people. People were pretty angry that, it, that things like that, that those records came out and that they were uh, not following the rules. Uh, you know, it's like nonconformist underground music. And yet you have rules and you have to conform to everybody else. So uh, that was confusing as hell to, for me as a kid. But I got over it pretty quick. I I just felt, you know, I, like like we said, with my parents and with society, seeing me as a, an outcast. I mean, why not be an outcast in, in, a, in, a, in a community of outcasts? That, that maybe that's a, a great compliment. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what made it good, you know, it, pushing against the elitism of hardcore and punk. And I agree with you. You know, I got into punk and hardcore because I didn't fit in. I didn't know where my place was. And then getting into hardcore especially for me because i got into hardcore like 92 93 and there was a uniform for it people wore you know the jinko pants they had the shell beads like there was a uniform and if you looked different you were a scrub if you liked um megadeth alongside of earth crisis you were like a hessian like there was a lot of rules you're right and that's what made integrity good though 
because you guys just came out and were doing something completely different. So because of that, I believe, and I know this for sure for me, because I remember writing integrity on a flyer I had put up in Providence, Rhode Island. I was looking to join a band and amongst the influences, integrity was the one band that this guy called me back. I was like, you like integrity, dude, we're going to do something like integrity. So I was in a band called Corinne from 93 to about 96 or 97. And it was all dark poetry. It was metal influenced hardcore. It was a total ripoff of integrity. And all of us were collectively like it was integrity, blood, bloodlet, entombed and, you know, some black metal. But we were in that scene of hardcore and they used to call us vampire core. They used to make fun of us. And we sort of reveled at that. It was like, yeah, fuck you. We aren't like you. We, are, we are different. And because of that, we sort of, uh, you know, at least regionally in the Northeast kind of blew up. So all hats off to you guys for just doing what you did and doing the souls and doing the quiet parts that were like beautiful. Like some of those quiet parts with the solos over them. I just remember sitting in my bedroom being like, this is fucking next level. And as you said, too, I was super into The Cure. I was super into bands like Cocteau Twins. But, you know, I kind of kept that in my room at home. You know, I'd get go hang out with my friends, go to shows, be the, the tough, hardcore kid, and then go home and, and blast The Cure and, and Cocteau Twins and like <laughs> revel in the dark gothiness of that. So I think that's perfect to hear you say that. But, yeah, I, I can't overstate the influence that you guys had on not just me, but Northeastern bands. You, you ask anybody, the boys from Overcast who became Shadows Fall, the boys that became Killswitch, All That Remains, all of us can point back to Integrity and go, yeah, those guys fucking changed it for us. Thank you. Yeah, when our first European tour was with Neurosis. I think it was 91 or, or so. Wow. And uh, they also liked Joy Division. And we had to be, it wasn't like we were quiet about it, but it was like, you'd have to be a little bit embarrassed to say like, oh, yeah. I think that they came in and we were listening to New Dawn Fades or something. And um, our unknown pleasures. And, and they were like, oh, we like this, too. We didn't think you guys would like that stuff. <laughs> and so uh, and, but most people didn't like that stuff back then. Now it's, I guess, you know, popular as a T-shirt. I don't know if most people yeah. know, know the music, but uh, back then, nobody really liked that kind of kind of thing. And, it, you know, I mean, it's just it's I like music that's passionate, you know, music that has soul and has a has a has a heart in it. It's the same, dude. If it doesn't have feeling, I can't dig it. I'm with you on that one. Going back to the time when you're starting out and you know finding your voice as a lyricist, Dwight, how are you finding this material? Um, you know, on the occult and on different philosophies and theories, like pre-internet. How did you go about connecting with people that were on the same page and and finding source material to to inspire you and to further your you know knowledge and wisdom of all that stuff? Well, there's a couple couple ways I could answer the question. Uh, as far as um, poetry and, and and that is concerned, concerned, uh, I was interested in like uh, Arthur Rimbaud, who actually uh, was born not too far from where I live now, and um, I would read Rimbaud's poetry, but I'd read it as it was translated from French into English by someone who probably didn't understand the translations correctly and his poetry is it, it doesn't have the uh, the exact rhyme scheme that most poetry does 
and it would kind of uh, juxtapose words against each other in ways where you would you would be almost uh, abruptly shocked at the imagery that your mind would create from these words that shouldn't be together. And maybe some of that was also due to, to poor translation. And then that kind of became an inspiration for me. And also as a, as a younger, when I was a young, a much younger person, I was interested, I was heavily interested in, uh, in the Dada movement and, and, and surrealism. And they sort of, uh, created the what I guess some people call cut-up poetry, where you take words and you sort of also juxtapose them together. And there was a point where uh, Tristan Zara and Andre Breton and these guys had a um, uh, like an ex ex exhibit and um, invited people to come, and then they would read read this what's what I guess we would call cut-up poetry. And they'd taken uh, words from a newspaper and cut out all the words and put it in a hat. And they would just pull out the words and read them. And this was around the time of the, uh, at the end of the First World War. And I guess that there must have been a lot of, lot of uh, words in that, in that uh, hat that were explosive. But also keep in mind, there wasn't punk music. There wasn't even rock and roll music. So for people to stand up in front of an audience and read these words with conviction and these words were clashing with each other in ways that people just couldn't comprehend it ended up causing a physical riot and people were fighting and i i see that as the first like punk show in a way you know i mean i guess it would be more spoken word but it the reaction was was like punk and uh so that was the inspiration for me like that that kind of uh source of of how how poetry was almost collaged together. And I, I connected with that uh, in that regard. Um, what was the other part of the question I was trying to answer? Now, let me think. Uh, <laughs> I guess I how you're trying to find like-minded people who are on the same sort of, you know, path of questioning, you know, religion and various different dogmas and things as well. Because again, you can't just go online and find forums like you're out there in the oh, world. Oh yeah. How, how I found it, some of the source material. That was what it was. So with that, uh, I guess uh, there was a couple of things. There used to be like zines that you could get where in the back there would be um, addresses of people who wanted to be contacted or who wanted contact from others to, to correspond with like uh, pen pals. And I guess that was like kind of like a, an analog version of, of the internet back then. And um, they would have zines that would have like, for example, um, badly uh, Xerox uh, photocopied uh, images of crime scenes, for example. And you could buy these zines and it would just be like gory crime scene kind of images, or it would be um, people uh, collaging in, content like that, but putting poetry and different uh, things in there. And from that, in the back, I would write to some of the people, and then sometimes they would correspond back with me. And then I started to find out um, when when my parents kept accusing me of, uh, you know, being involved in this 
devilry was also the same time in the 80s we had a thing called in america we had a thing called the satanic panic i don't know if you guys are familiar with that or oh, yeah she knows it well you know what it, <laughs> yeah yeah so so the satanic panic was something that was just i wasn't sure at the time i was like is it real is it fabricated by the media what is this thing and um my parents were convinced it was real and I would sit in the morning getting ready for school, uh, eating my cereal and looking at the back of the milk carton. And there'd be pictures of kids that were looking like me and they were missing. And I used to think to myself, uh, you know, this has to be part of that. So at some point I, I started to do my own research and see if this this was a real uh, a real organized uh, attempt to to uh, destroy humanity. And through a lot of the correspondence that I made in those weird uh, magazines, uh, those zines, not magazines, just here, copied zines, I met a lot of people. And then I found out about uh, the Process Church. And then I researched more and more into that and found out that there were uh, serial killers involved and people who were never caught that were involved that kept continued to do things that they never uh were caught for doing, but the idea was, you know, to put fear in the heart uh, of humanity and make them question and doubt themselves. And I found that to be interesting. And there was also this place, whenever I would go out to, uh, to, to Los Angeles, there was a bookstore called uh, Amok and uh, Amok had a, had a, its own publication home, house. And uh, for a while, Adam Parfrey was the, um, the, the manager of, of the store. And he later on uh, branched off and created Pharaoh Press, which maybe you guys are familiar with that. And so there were these underground books that dealt with occult uh, content. They would publish books that were like taboo or forbidden books on religion or on philosophy or on, um, you know, uh, even weird things like now it would be, it would seem probably uh, silly, but Back then, you know, having a lot of tattoos was a, you know, this was crazy. And to have uh, piercings was absolutely crazy. And, you know, all this, all these different th body modifications was absolutely crazy. And they had a lot of books on things like that and, and on uh, other, other things. And um, I would, I would absorb those books because there was nothing like that in, in my, up in my childhood that I could ever find. And, with the probably the most interesting books that they that, that that Amok published was that they would make these catalogs. They were really thick, like uh, I would say, like a, a yellow pages. But I don't know if any of your listeners <laughs> will know what that means. But they were uh, like a phone, what we would call phone. We had yellow page phone books, and uh, they were thick uh, catalogs. And instead of just saying, okay these are the titles and maybe having a picture of it. They would sometimes have excerpts from the book, other photos, uh, maybe even like their opinion on what the book was about. And it was, it was almost like you got this um, cliff notes of the book. Like you got this little brief summary of what the book was and just enough that your imagination could kind of take over and fill in the rest. If you didn't have enough money to buy that book, then your imagination could, could carry you through and, and maybe even take you into a more interesting direction than the book would have ever given you itself. And that was a huge inspiration for me, the, those books. And the, I learned about a lot of really interesting things from, from that. 
I don't know if they're interesting nowadays, but at the time it was something that not a lot of people had access to that, that type of content. And it was really uh, inspirational for me. You mentioned imagination earlier as well. And like, I think before we had everything available at the touch of a button and you had to use your imagination more, that's when the good stuff happens creatively. I feel like if you're overwhelmed and spoilt for choice when it comes to information and you know source material and these things like this which should inspire us i find often if you have too much it has the opposite effect and there was a, there was joy in the art of discovery in that time as well and i say this all the time like when you just had to like read the liner notes of you know a book or a record that you enjoyed and you saw who they thanked and then that would be then your next purchase and there wasn't just like a clear-cut way you know to complete the collection you had to really go out there and you know crate dig and explore um it was a golden time, I find, without sounding too nostalgic for the past. It was a beautiful time, and I feel like a lot of good art came out of that time because we had to use our imaginations more. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that what you were saying about um, you know, going to the bookstores and, and researching, and I did that with albums. You know, I did that with uh, you know, getting a dist- like very distribution. I used to get the catalog there, and they would give you like a yeah. little paragraph about what the seven inch or the album was about and it created a certain fanaticism where you know if i meet somebody who grew up around the same time i did and they were into hardcore punk there's an automatic connection where nowadays you know as you guys are saying there's you know accessibility it it became people became lazy fans became lazy people would listen to a band and not realize the lineage not realize the roots and to me like i'm all about that i'm a total nerd for that shit because that's how i grew up i wouldn't be who i was today much like you do it or saying and matt unless i did the research unless i was out and about going to record stores going to shops going to shows buying fanzines meeting people having pen pals calling people on pay phones you know like booking tours from just a phone number and and crashing at somebody's house and making friends with them all that organic shit that you had to do to sort of seek out your passions is really what it made it unique. And I think set the tone for the rest of society, whether you're talking about, you know, art, music, film, all that stuff came from a generation of people who before the internet had to be a total fanatic to even understand or be exposed to these types of things. So I love that you're making me very nostalgic for those days, both you guys. Yeah, I think that it definitely weeded out a lot of uh, people because it was it was incredibly difficult. I mean, I don't know if I'm nostalgic for it, but uh, I, I can I can say that it was so difficult that I could understand why most people would never even give it an attempt. And, and if they did, how easily they would just walk away from it, because, you know, we would go on tour. And I remember one time we played in where we were booked to play in south dakota or i don't know and uh the the venue had burned down a few days before so we get there in the middle of nowhere we drove we had no money and we used all almost all of our money to get there hoping that we'd get gas money to get to the next place only to find out the place was burnt to the ground and uh you know if we had gps or phones well that would have been a different story i mean i i kind of like that technology can save you from these experiences now well, when and, you're talking uh, about tour, for sure, <laughs> holy shit. And, you know, we, we used to, there, there's a friend of mine named uh, Robbie Redcheeks, and he used to go to Radio Shack. And there was this thing called a tone dialer where you could, um, yes. 
it could memorize your phone, your favorite people's phone numbers, and you put it up to a telephone and push the number one, it would make beep, 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 or whatever. And it would tell the phone that it was calling, for example, it was calling you, Jesse, then you'd ring at your house. And this guy, he figured out a way to change some crystals and mod it. So it would make the sound of a quarter dropping. So we would dial in the number for a venue or uh, some promoter in another town. And then it would say, please deposit four, $4 in quarters. Then we just push this magic machine. It would just make the sound of quarters dropping. And we would book our tours like that because your audience won't believe this either, but we used to have to pay for long distance calls, which meant if you called another state, I think even another city, it was long distance too. Uh, that was ridiculous. And it would yeah, be my, expensive. <laughs> definitely, dude. I couldn't relate. My my bass player had that little machine and that saved our ass so many times. Yeah, It might have came from Robbie. He, yeah. He, he was notorious with those things. It was badass, man. But you're right. Touring back then was very difficult. And, you know, you never knew what, what you were walking into because you didn't have text, someone texting you updates constantly. You didn't have your GPS. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't long for those days either when it comes to tour. <laughs> for sure. That shit was that was fucking tough, man. Yeah. So what was it like touring with integrity in those early days? And for me, you know, I look back on integrity as, as a band that was massive, but I know you guys didn't reach where I think you should have reached. How was that? Did you guys struggle? And when, was there a point where you sort of felt like this isn't worth it anymore? Well, we never really tried to be successful. We just, we kind of thought of it as us against the world and we didn't really, care if people liked it or didn't like it there would be some places we would play and it seemed like a lot of people really liked us and then there'd be other places where it felt like everybody hated us and it, we definitely carried around a, a sense of paranoia that everybody was out to get us no matter where we went but that could have been mainly due to our uh, our upbringing and and how like uh, society viewed people who were into this kind of music at that time uh it was a different uh different time in the 80s uh, if you wore a shirt with the skull on it or you know a sam hayne shirt or something or misfits uh, people would try to kill you on the streets you know like because you're wearing a shirt of a band that you like i don't understand why but that's that's how it would go down you know they they'd yell uh, insults out of their pickup trucks throw beer bottles at you sometimes stop their vehicles and try to kill you and just because you like this kind of music now, you can buy those same shirts at uh, Walmart and Target. So and these guys are probably buying them for their kids. You know, this is the guys that were trying to kill us with their pickup trucks. Maybe they're even wearing them themselves. Who knows? <laughs> the most interesting change for me from the 80s to now is like in the 80s, it was the conservatives that were trying to censor everything. And now it's the liberals, like it's gone the full other side. It's such a mad time, like for, to be an artist and especially to be someone that like wants to be, I wouldn't even say provocative, just kind of authentic and truthful. Um, there's this really uh, kind of interesting, but also stupid article that I saw today. Terry Gilliam, um, the great filmmaker, obviously Monty Python um, illustrator as well. He just recommended the Dave Chappelle comedy special on his Facebook page. He just recommended it. He said, Dave's one of the funniest comedians around today. Uh, he's doing some really interesting stuff. You guys should check it out. And he was going to be doing a play at the old Vic in England. And basically a team of people at the old Vic got together 
they even dubbed themselves the old Vic 12 as if they're some like, you know, victims of some heinous crime. And they got his, his production canceled um, because they saw him as supporting this transphobic comedian, Dave Chappelle. And he then had to then go and get his own resources together to go and find another theater in England. And he's now found one in Bath to put on this play. And that's just one story of, you know, hundreds nowadays. And it's like, it seems like the, the new left wing, like woke brigade are like what the PMRC were in the eighties. It's just, it's insane. Do you feel stifled as an artist at all? in today's world or have you always done what you've always done and will continue to i try to stay politically i try to stay a little bit in the middle uh, of, of the of, of the road i don't want to go too far either way but i'm not such a political person but i do uh have uh my heart is more uh in tune with the people who are outcasts and people who are seen as outsiders so I'm more likely to be on their side about, mm-hmm. about issues. Uh, and uh, I understand from my limited uh, um, the, the prejudices against me as a kid for, for the dumb things, like I said, wearing these shirts, liking this kind of music. So I can imagine how, uh, how intense it must be for people who uh, have a different kind of lifestyle that uh, for some reason or another threatens these other people into violence against them. So uh, I identify more uh, probably with the, the underdogs than, than, than uh, anything, but um, it's a difficult situation. You know, I mean, we have, uh, we support uh, the pride movement with integrity. We have a, a shirt that we give the donut, we give the pro the proceeds to, to the pride movement. And we receive a lot of uh, death threats and negative comments uh, whenever those shirts are advertised. It's just a weird world, you know? So, Do you think it always was? Yeah, it always yeah. was. And the, and the world has always been ending, too. It isn't that this generation is the end of the world. The world has always been at the end. And everybody, every generation is always feeling... Oh, they the young people have gone too far and they're, you know, they're out of control and all of this type of thing. And, you know, these were the same people who, when they were younger, they liked Elvis and oh, Elvis, they have to crop him because he's shaking his hips. And Elvis was, uh, he was black metal to, to the 1950s or he was yeah. uh, two live crew or he was, you know, whoever is controversial, whatever period that you're, you're going to talk about, he was the controversial one. So uh, these people forget that. And now they get older and I guess they just get, uh, they feel that they're losing control. And so they want to become the, the sour old man next door and shake their fists at the clouds and that kind of thing. Yeah, I get I get protecting people like I'm definitely all for people who should be able to live how they want to live, love who they want to love. But I also I also can't stand the censorship. So I'm like you. I stand in the middle. I am definitely not a left or a right. And I have no interest in getting involved with any of that shit. And I I back what you're doing with the, the, you know, the rainbow merch. I love that. When I first saw that come out, I was like, fuck, yeah, that's awesome. It makes such a great statement. And it does sort of like. It shouldn't, but it still kind of shocks me that people give a fuck. Like you get shit for that. Like what the, yeah. f- why, why does that, like, what is the threat to you 
that someone chooses to live this way. I don't fucking understand it. But in the same breath, I hate the censorship too. It's like, it's a dichotomy, man. It's tough. Well, I mean, it isn't that everybody who's, uh, who, who's in the pride movement is censoring everybody. It's, it's, you know, these are just extreme people yeah. who are doing the, this kind of a censorship on either side. I find often, oh. it's just as a last thought on this, and then we'll move on because we don't need to stay on it too long, but I find often it's the people who aren't wronged in any way that are the most vocal. You know, often like the people who understand activism are just out there doing it you know they're living their life they're trying to change the world for the better they're being proactive productive in their communities often it's the people who are just like middle class wealthy white people um, with too much time on their hands i'm offended by this and it's like but it's not anything to do with you you just want to have your say i find there's a lot of them on the internet but well, i think there's, there's a lot of people who are who are spiteful hateful people and they'll just latch on to whatever they can to to spew their venom onto the world. And that's, I think, who, who these people generally are. They're not left. They're not right. They're just spiteful people who are looking for a witch to burn, you know? Mm, I like that. So it isn't that, uh, I don't think that, I think it's unfair to, to, uh, I think it's, and I don't think that that's what you were doing, Matt, but I think that it's, it's unfair for us to, to make it seem like to your audience to seem like, one one uh, group of people are all, you know, inquisitors, and they're they're burning people who are against whatever it is that they're they're that they're standing up for. I think that there's just a, a venom inside some people who just want to create and spew hatred, and they'll just align with whatever it is. Sometimes you'll see these same people switch sides and be just as extreme to the other side as they were to to this one which is exact opposite and they still have this this pure uh pure hatred and and, and spilling this this kind of uh you know this madness out and th- i think that's what gets them off you know and, and that that also rings true with the religious stuff we were talking about before you know these guys uh humanity just wants to destroy itself that's i think that that's uh part of part of uh our dna is that we're a self-destructive suicidal abomination and we have to try to find ways to cope with that and to to try to find ways to get along i mean at the same time you know here's a guy who's saying that since i was a child i felt like an outsider and i wanted to sort of you know avenge myself to some degree uh, but I did it at creative with through creativity. But you know, I, I think that everybody deserves a fair shake, uh, especially people who who are uh, who were never given a fair shake to to start with. So that's kind of where I I, I tend to uh, navigate myself is uh, aligning myself more with the underdogs. But uh, you know, I'm not interested in, in inquisitors of either any side of of, of politics or, or whatever it would be. You're talking yeah. straight up wisdom. Love yes. It. That's punk rock in its essence to me. That's what drew yeah. me to it in the first place is, is that being a misfit and outcast and finding yeah. your tribe in those people who didn't get a shot. And I still align with all of that as well. I love it. So I've got to bring it full circle. This is a question I've wanted to ask you for a long time. And I think because of my post on Instagram talking about humanity is the devil mm-hmm. is kind of what sparked this whole conversation and me asking you to come on. 
So I'm curious, um, and, and I guess sort of to wrap this up as well, humanity is the devil. Where does it come from? What does it mean to you? And uh, how do you feel about that statement now? Because uh, to me, that was a very sort of like bold thing. And I remember seeing the title, I remember when the album came out and it just blowing my mind. So wh- where, where does that come from and, and where are you with it now? Well, it originated from the Process Church. And Process Church was a um, end of the world religious cult that used four archetypes as a, as a means to sort of uh, attract a, a congregation. And so what they did was they had Jehovah, they had Jesus, they had Lucifer, and they had Satan. And you would take, it, it was kind of a, an offshoot of, of Scientology in a way, and you would take uh, you would look at yourself and say, which of these attributes of these four archetypes uh, just best describe Jesse? Which of these four uh, archetypes best describe uh, me or, or Matt or whatever? And then we would have to sort of say, okay, well, I feel like I'm 50% uh, Satan uh, and, and 25% Lucifer or whatever. And you want to try to sort of find a balance of the of those things because you know uh satan is a destructive force jehovah is like kind of like what you were saying about these guys who want to uh want to censor each other and things you know this this bitter old grandpa who who only the good old days were 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 the prime for humanity and now everything's gone to shit you know because it's you know every generation the older people they always fucking say that and uh, and it never fucking ends, unfortunately, maybe. But, uh, you know, and then you have the 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 Luciferian character who's like a, a Loki or a trickster or a person who's a hedonist having a good time. And then you have a Jesus character who's like a compassionate person who's looking out for each other and caring. And, and so you sort of want to try to find this balance. And, and so that's what the process church basically was. But the, but the main key of, of the church itself was that the satanic side of it, they would also kind of have uh, worship where they would have people that would go just for those sermons, you know. And usually they were recruiting and, and, and trying to um, trying to uh, find people who'd be interested in it through ex ex uh, cons and bikers and people who were extremely violent. And the idea was that they would set out to create violent situations and make the world start to question uh, the safety of it. And they would go out and they would. Uh, rob uh, gas stations and not just rob gas stations, but they would, they would have these meetings and they would sort of teach them how to take it further because if you make it really nasty, then it's going to be remembered. And then people are going to start to question, is this a safe world? Is this the world that we thought it was and sort of expose uh, the, the humanity for what it was. That was kind of what they were doing. And, Humanity is the Devil was a, a book of scripture that the Process Church uh, ha- had written, uh, Robert de Grimston had written, or Robert Moore. And um, in it, he basically uh, says that uh, Christ made a pact with the devil to 
make peace in heaven so they would just work together to eliminate humanity because humanity is out of control and it's just uh, an abomination so that's kind of uh where this where the the seed was planted but that wasn't what the album was about it just i liked the title i liked some of what they were saying and i wanted to expand on that and and so the album uh took on its own life but that was the the initial germ that set out to to inspire the album i love it that's such a i gotta check that out it reminds me of uh, the character and Joker, you know, just uh, someone who just wants to watch it all burn down. Yeah, it is like that. Exactly. And there's, uh, you know, there's some documentaries nowadays that have come come out. Uh, one on uh, the son of Sam Berkowitz and uh, David Berkowitz. There's a Netflix documentary on it. And it talks a little bit about this, but they don't go as far into it as 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 maybe they could have or, or whatever. Um Henry Lee Lucas, a lot of people might know who he was. He was a serial killer who also was associated with that. And, and, and Manson was a, affiliated with the process and all these different people. So that was kind of how, like I said, I'd see these milk cartons and kids were missing, kids like me. So I wondered, was this, was this a real thing? And they were the real thing. They were what the satanic panic was all about, was these guys and I sort of found that out by corresponding with people uh, in the back of these uh, taboo magazines. And some people were actually a part of that and they would explain things to me. And uh, it was a bit frightening sometimes as well, but I was, uh, you know, I was a teenager. So I was, uh, I I was fearless and immortal. Nothing could, could ever harm me. You know, I'm, I'm special. But, uh, but I, you know, I was lucky. I just, I was, I was stupid. And I just figured that uh, nothing would ever come, would ever harm me. But I'm sure that I came very close to a lot of terrible things happening. But uh, that, yeah. So that brings back some of the earlier stuff where I went off on a tangent and got lost in the, in my own rambling there. Well, that's fascinating, <laughs> dude. Thank you for answering that question. I'm going to look that book up. I love that. That's an interesting story. I love yeah. it. Yeah, there's some books on the process and uh, there's some documentaries, but generally most of the stuff that comes out is uh, is cleaned up and they, they only want to say that they're really more uh, a Christian group that was just out to help people and things like that. And all the other stuff was just uh, uh, conspiracy theories and things like that. But Fascinating. I bet your life brought you into contact with some amazing characters to it, you know, not just in the music scene, but yeah, know, p- people who have, you know, perhaps attached to, to your art and, you know, sought you out. Um, you must have met some amazing all walks of life people over, you know, the 30 odd years you've been doing it. Yeah. Generally, I would meet people who are interested in like extreme, well, extreme lifestyles. It could be uh, in music or it could be in uh, religion or whatever. And often dark. So uh, some of the people were unsavory characters and probably some of the people are uh, unpopular by today's uh, by today's uh, allowed, like what you said about people being censored and things like that. (laughs) But um, it was a different time, I suppose. Would you do a book? Would you ever write a book about, you know, your life, your journey and and these these people you've come into contact with and. 
I guess I could. I, I've been offered to do uh, a book a couple of times, but they wanted me to kind of, they, these were record labels and they wanted me to kind of write a book similar to the other people who are into, I guess we'll say hardcore, you know. And I didn't have the same lifestyle as that. I didn't grow up in the streets and, and live uh, that way. I, I grew up on a farm and I got interested in like occults and things. And uh, it's very different. Like all the other books are kind of the same. You know, they're tough guys that lived in the on the streets and they fought everybody. And then they uh, overcame their uh, poverty through music. I don't have that same uh, hero's journey. Mine is uh, much different than that. So I, I, I would, and also I don't find my life to be very interesting. I find the things that I create to be interesting and they entertain me. Uh, that's why I do it ultimately. So I just, I, I see myself as more like just a vessel or, or some, someone who's a, a conduit for my, my imagination or, and, and my research and the different things, whatever it would be. But my personal life, I don't find it to be that interesting. It could be to some people. I mean, I guess that's contradictory because we're doing an interview right now. <laughs> you should approach Feral House, bring it full circle. <laughs> you know, go with something which not your straightforward autobiography. But I mean, just uh, kind of is Feral still around? Because Adam died a bit a while ago. I don't know. Is it still? Is it still happening? I believe my friend Danko Jones brought out his book. I've got something huh. to say on Feral House. I think so. Huh. Um, and I, I do think they're still operating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just getting an insight into your mind today has been amazing. You know, Jesse kind of, uh, you know, said that it would be, and I've had my expectations have been definitely superseded. Um, oh, thanks. You definitely got to come back on again, man. I need to dip out in a moment's time, but, um, we would love to do several more parts of this. I'd be happy to. Yeah. I'm super fascinated. Some of the stuff you've mentioned already and some of the stuff I've researched prior to this. So it's great to, to, you know, meet you virtually and obviously a huge fan of your music and it's great to make your acquaintance and have this discussion. And you've piqued my interest in other things as well. Cause I'm, I'm at that phase now in my life where I'm just devouring things and on, on a real quest for, for truth, especially these past year and a half, two years, what we've been going through, it's kind of shifted my gears. So me getting reacquainted with some of the music I used to obsess over and integrity is one of those bands that I've just been listening to a lot of lately. So this is Thank you. really special for me, man. I'm really honored that you came on. I appreciate it, brother. I'm very flattered that you say it. Thank you very much, Jesse. It, it means a lot. And uh, I'm happy to, to talk to you guys. And it's been a, a lot of fun. You know, I hope it was entertaining for your audience. I don't know if, I, if everything was too archaic, you know, with my my talk of uh, phone books and, and uh, <laughs> landlines and stuff. This I definitely isn't a podcast for the TikTok generation, so I'm, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure no, everything you've said will have gone over great. I just wanted to ask you this as we approach the end. Um, why Belgium? I, I have to just guess oh, yeah. a, a woman, love. What what, what took you to Belgium? And, and that's your like full-time home, right? You've been there for a while as well. Yeah, I've lived here almost 20 years. Um, it's, it's a bit of a longer story than that, but um, ultimately... Um, I, I lived the last place in the States that I lived was Cleveland, Ohio. And there isn't a lot of music that came out of Cleveland. Uh, there, well, there is, and there isn't, there wasn't too many bands that really, uh, that did a lot of things. And so when I lived there, I was sort of, uh, spoiled and I, I would go out and I would be treated, uh, too well. 
this is a weird way to look at life, but this is, that's probably, you know, as, as everybody who's listening to this is starting to figure out that I'm, I don't really think uh, the right way, probably. So uh, I was treated, uh, I was treated too well by the community there. And I would go out and like, people would say, oh, come on in to our bar. Oh, we're closing, but you can stay. We'll hang out and we'll drink and we'll hang out with all these people and we'll have a good time. And I ended up just having such a good time that I wasn't getting anything done. And I realized like, I need to change this somehow, but I, it wasn't easy to do. And, it, you know, it, you know, especially when you're having a good time, you don't want to just let the good time end. But eventually I got to a point where I said, well, I have to uh, do something about this. And so when I was on a, a, tour, a European tour, a friend of mine uh, had just bought a big house in Belgium and he lived alone. And he said, you know, what are you going to do after tour? If you want, you could stay at my house for uh, however long between tours, because I had a, an American tour after that. But it was about two months um, following the end of the European tour. So I stayed with him for a couple of months. And everything was quiet and people uh, weren't so uh, accommodating to me. And I was like, wow, this is uh, kind of what I wanted. Now I can think about stuff. Now I can create things again. And now I can kind of be uh, the outcast again instead of being so, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't super celebrated, but it was celebrated enough that I wasn't getting anything done. And, and along uh, while I was there, then I met uh, my wife. Uh, who became the, the girl who became my wife, uh, the lady who became my wife. And, um, and then I went back to the States, did that tour. And then I came back and, and, and then I never came, I never uh, moved back to the States after that and just stayed here. And it's quiet where I live. Uh, I live in a village outside of a city called Ghent. Uh, Ghent is like a, a beautiful medieval looking city. That's un, it's kind of untouched by tourism. When the tourists come through Belgium, they generally don't they don't really hit Ghent as much, as hard as they do Bruges and Brussels and Antwerp. So it, it's kind of preserved in that regard. And I live in a suburb outside of a small village outside of, of, of town. So it's even more quiet and I can walk a few few minutes in almost any direction and come across an old castle or, you know, all this amazing things that I never uh, experienced as a kid. So that to me is also inspiring, this type of uh, these landmarks and things that are just laying around, you know, just it's pretty interesting to be able to to experience that. And I guess it goes back to when I was five years old, looking over those cornfields and seeing nothing and wondering, where are these castles? Where are these fantastic uh, creations and, and, and lands. And I guess that probably is, is what led me here initially, you know, the trying to find, find that. And, uh, and, you know, it keeps, keeps life interesting as well. You travel to different lands, luckily because of, uh, my, my job, so to speak. And, uh, I've got to meet amazing people and experience amazing cultures and different lands and things. And, uh, been quite quite a uh, a blessing to, to to be able to do all of that. So that's how I ended up in Belgium, and uh, and I've been married to my wife for uh, fifteen years now, and we have so uh, I have I have a total of five children, but I, I had I, I was married in in the states to uh, an, another lady for for several years, and we had three kids together 
over there. They're adults now. And then I have two children here who are uh, teenagers. Wow. So, well, spoken like a true artist. I love that you move just to help, you know, get inspired again. I can totally back that. That's why I live where I live out in the middle of quote unquote nowhere to yeah. get out of the New York city. And I live up in the Catskill mountains and I couldn't agree more. It's just, it's magic and it's different and it keeps me inspired as well. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah, man. Good for you. I love it. It's <laughs> been amazing. Uh, DeWitt, thank you so much, brother. Everybody out there who doesn't know, check out Integrity, the band that changed everything. <laughs> and all hails to you, brother. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank on. you so much. Thank you so much, Jesse. I appreciate that. Yeah, Great to meet you, DeWitt. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Great to meet you as well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a real, real fun time. And all right, uh, brother. Yeah. Well, well I, I'm. I'm uh, I, I'm having goosebumps because you guys are so friendly and nice to me. Thank you very much. It's hey, man, very I'm just, welcome. Just spitting facts, bro. That's all it is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take care of yourself, my man. We'll hey, you too. All right. Thanks Enjoy. a lot. Cheers to you guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.